Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Financial Exchange is produced by Money Matters Radio and is hosted by employees of the Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor that provides investment advisory services. All opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, do not reflect the opinions of Armstrong Advisory or anyone else, and do not guarantee profit. Investments can lose money. This program does not offer any specific financial or investment advice. Please consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong and Money Matters Radio do not compensate each other for referrals and are not affiliated. This is the Financial Exchange with Chuck Zotta and Mike Armstrong. Your exclusive look at business and financial news affecting your day, your city, your world. Stay informed and up-to-date about economic and market trends, plus breaking business news every day. This is the Financial Exchange with Chuck Zotta and Mike Armstrong. There's a headline in the Wall Street Journal this morning. The world economy is doing well. This is bad news for central bankers. It's Chuck, Mike, and Tucker with you, and that's where we're going to kick things off today, talking about why a good economy is given everyone who's looking at this data, not everyone, but a lot of people looking at this data, a little bit agitated, you know, just a little, uh, Tony Romo at the end of a game, uh. I gotta ask you a question, when you talk to ordinary Americans, yes, do they describe this as a good economy to you? What do you mean? Like, I when I tell people, I, I don't, I don't ask. When I'm not here, I don't talk about the economy. Oh, yeah, that's all I talk about. Because I have to say that, generally speaking, when I'm talking to people, especially you know, when I'm you know talking to people about the markets and things like that, they're generally speaking of the opinion that the the economy is quite poor right now, which to me is a fundamental misunderstanding. Inflation is really hot, which is really painful. But there seems to be a lot of concern about the economy being bad, and the economy is, um, in, in fact, showing you know, a lot of growth. Well, let's we, we have to define things in a certain way because yeah. words do have meanings. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that those words tend to lose their meaning because you know we refer to the economy. And look, the economy can mean any one of a million things depending on you know who you're talking to. Yeah. The average American has no idea what U.S. GDP is ever. True. They don't, it, it's not a relevant data point. Their kids are in school trying to you know, get to class every day. They're trying to make sure they can go to work and take their kids to and from sports practices and this and that. Meanwhile, their you know, boss is saying, hey, do 10% more with 10% less. The average person doesn't care what GDP is. True. And they shouldn't. No. It's, no, no one should wake up in the morning and say, well, I'm really going to contribute to GDP today. So when we say that the economy is doing well, growth what we're talking is about rising. is that there's growth in the economy globally. Yes, and basically everywhere. Growth, so far the data that we have seen in 
the first quarter of this year, and, and really it's January plus like a couple February data points that mm-hmm. have continued to be hot. We'll get to that in just a minute. The data thus far this year is, hey, the amount of real economic growth after inflation, it's accelerating. And here's why this is bad for central bankers is typically when you see an acceleration in activity, it's a good thing. Again, it's let's say that I'm selling printers, Mike. Mm. Okay. And one year I go to both you and Tucker and say, hey, do you want to buy a printer? And both of you say no. Okay. I'm like, well, I I got a printer I got to sell. What am I going to do with it? I got to unload this thing. Don't you guys want to print something? No, we're good. We're paperless, man. We're, we're cool. Okay, fine. My, my business is awful, like yada, yada. I come back the next year. Mike Tuck, you guys want to buy a printer? Tucker says, yeah, man, I'm really into printing stuff right now. That sounds great. I love letters on pages. That sounds awesome to me. I love ink. Great. Here, here's my printer. Pay me for it. Okay, fine. Like, Wow, I just had a nice year. My sales went up. Okay, I, I sold the printer that I have. Next year, I've still got a printer to sell. I come to both of you. Hey, do you guys want to buy a printer? Tucker says, yeah, I had such a good time with the one last year. I'm going to buy another printer this year because two printers is better than one. Great, no problem. I can do that. Mike, what about you? Yeah, I'd like to buy a printer too. Look how much fun Tucker's having with his printer. Double printer. But I only have one to sell. So who's going to pay me more for it? This is the situation that we're in. We have a the, the baseline for economic activity that we got to coming out of the pandemic was higher than the economy could support. And so when you see an acceleration from there, the concern that central bankers have is, hey, Chuck's trying to sell one printer and he's got three people that are wanting to buy him. And so prices go up until the marginal buyer says, yep, that's as high as it goes. And that's how you get more inflation potentially. And effectively, that's what's happening with workers right now. And I hear this comment all the time, like, oh, nobody wants to work. And it's not quite based in evidence there. In fact, more people are working today than you know prior to the pandemic. Not in, just that, in Mike. In a total number. The problem is that the demand for that labor is so much higher now because of all of yes. the growth, because of all the stimulus, because of all the dollars that went out to businesses and individuals and governments that compared to the level of expansion, you're right, there are no workers. Nobody wants to work because we would need a much larger portion of people willing to go out there and get a job to keep up with the increased demand that was created by printing seven, eight, nine, ten trillion dollars in the United States. And you might say And then also all across the world. Part of it also is, look, locally you might be saying, gee, I'm a business owner and I can't get anyone to do, you know, the work that, you know, I want. I don't even have the staffing I did previously. That's because the pandemic saw a net migration out of the Northeast. That's it's true. not yep. it's not necessarily that those people don't want to work. They just moved to Austin, Texas, and Florida in order to work there instead. True. And so they're not here. So I, I think it's also, you know, somewhat a local phenomenon in that, hey, there were certain parts of the country that were net beneficiaries of the pandemic from a migration perspective. Draw a line at Washington, DC, up through, you know, uh, you know, kind of southeastern Michigan. That part of the country was not a beneficiary. No. People moved out of that area and down. They moved down and left. Yeah. They, that, that's where the, the U.S. moved. They moved down and left. <laughs> okay, when you're looking at the map. That would be south and west. Yes. Right? Okay. Sometimes I just say the directions just because, yeah. you know, whatever. 
So I think that when you look at the overall state of the economy now, and again, another data point this morning, ISM services, ISM, Institute of Supply Management. Anyone ever uh, visit the ISM offices? Yeah. No, I haven't either. Do they exist? They, they do. Okay. They're not in the metaverse. They're a real company, but they're exactly that. They're a company. They're not an arm of the U.S. government. They, they do not have, you know, Ben Bernanke pulling strings saying, okay, you know, I'm going to, you know, manage the data. Not that I think that happens, but for anyone who's skeptical of government data. It's not government data. It's a private company yep. that goes out and measures this stuff. ISM services this morning came in at 55.1. Anything above 50 is warm. 55.1 is fairly scorching. Mm-hmm. Okay. Consensus estimates were from 54.5 to 54.6, so higher than those estimates. This comes on the back of some improvement in ISM manufacturing two days ago. Now, after Janu- the January data came out, there was a lot of chatter about, well, you know, it was a pretty mild January by all accounts. There wasn't much snow. There wasn't much cold weather. That probably was, you know, the cause for the hot data. By the way, uh, we had um, Inflation Insights. What's his name? Amir Sharif. Amir Sharif on, on Tuesday or Wednesday. And I asked him that exact question. Like, hey, is there anything to this weather debate? Did he like, say baloney? Yeah, he, he called it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he wanted to use a different word, but that's basically what he said. Baloney. Yeah. So you had all this chatter about, well, you know, the weather could have, you know, made it hotter. And then February came and Northern California got like 88 inches of snow or something like that. In the Northeast, do you guys remember the week before the Super Bowl? Yeah, pretty messy. It was negative eight here or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I know, because okay, I've was, got a bunch of everyone, missing walls in my basement due to the water leak. Yes, everyone's pipes burst, <laughs> okay? And you know what? We still had improvements in ISM services and ISM manufacturing. So it's we're past the point now where you can say, well, maybe January was hot and you know that was just the outlier. February looks like it's going to be pretty roasty, too. Okay, in the words of uh, Senor Michael Scott, I believe that February is probably looking like... Yeah, that's that's where we're at right now. So let's take a break. Yeah, I, I want to talk about central bankers for a little bit here and the pressure that's now on. Because to an extent, hey, look, the inflation that we initially saw in 2022, not your fault. And it's not the central bankers' fault now, but... If we start, if we continue to see the services, twenty twenty two was their fault. Yeah, I, I, I was going to twenty twenty one might not have been their fault. Yeah, they, they continued a lot of bond buying programs, but I'd like to discuss that a little bit and talk about where this goes to if this inflation continues, because then it is firmly in their laps. Quick break. We'll be right back on the financial exchange. Wall Street Watch, a full update on the market's performance to date. Weekdays at 1030, only here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Planning for your financial future never stops, but there are specific times of the year when it can matter more. Hi, this is Mike Armstrong from the Armstrong Advisory Group. We've put together a brand new guide called Financial Planning for Tax Time that may help you review certain tax decisions that you made last year and whether or not to adjust them in 2023. Taking a look at last year's IRA contributions might be a good place to start. Remember that if you're putting money into a traditional Roth IRA, you have until April 18th to complete your contributions. The IRS limits for these contributions have also increased, which may give you the 
ability to save more than you have in the past. Call us today at 800-393-4001 and request our new free guide called Financial Planning for Tax Time. That's 800-393-4001 or you can request it online at armstrongadvisory.com. The proceeding was paid for by Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor. Nothing in the ad or in any Armstrong guide is specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong may contact you to offer investment advisory services. Text us, 617-362-1385, with your comments and questions about today's show. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. This segment of the Financial Exchange is brought to you in part by the U.S. Virgin Islands Department of Tourism. St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John were named the best Caribbean islands to visit for 2023 by the Caribbean Journal. So act now and fall naturally in rhythm with the heartbeat of the islands as you enjoy some of the most pristine beaches in the world along with world-class culinary cuisine. Visit usvi.com right now and book your next vacation today. That's visitusvi.com. So my point about central banks earlier, Chuck, if, if, if I may, I would blame the majority, not all, but the majority of 2022 inflation on a combination of supply chains and fiscal policy. Yeah, plus war in Ukraine. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a case to be made that there's a, a chunk of that that is worthy. And I think you know you can blame a minority of that on monetary policy from the Fed or lack thereof in yeah, terms yeah. of higher interest there's rates. A, there's a good chunk. I mean, again, yeah, again, but compared to the supply chains and the stimulus checks, I put the failure on monetary policy to be. But isn't the Fed supposed to be able to look at those things and say, act "Hey, all of these things are happening, and so they we should, should act to. differently." Yeah, yeah, they should be able to. But nonetheless, that's where we were for 2022, and it was a problem. A bigger problem in my mind is if now the issues that we are seeing is high inflation in spite of supply chains largely being repaired and stimulus having gone away, that's really what we're getting into is the wage price spiral. Really what we should be most concerned about at this stage would be services costs going up because of a wage price spiral. And that I have to put firmly in the lap of the Federal Reserve in terms of dealing with. And while they are attempting to through higher interest rates, the messaging is clearly clearly still muddied enough that investors aren't buying it. There's one thing that Jay Powell can do that will get him back in the driver's seat. On March 22nd, 19 days from now, he's got to put on his purple tie and make sure it's all tightened up to the top so there's no gap. You're not showing the little button at the top of your collar or anything. He's got to come up to the podium and he's got to basically say, guys, I'm the captain now. We're raising by 50 basis points. Don't mess with us. I was going to say the other thing that maybe could be done. When was the last time feds raised rates in between meetings or changed rates in between meetings? Uh, the pandemic. Uh, you, are you talking positively, not negatively, though, right? I guess either way. But yeah, during the pandemic, they lowered rates between meetings. I think meetings. the last time we saw hikes inter-meeting, inter, inter sorry. March 2020. No, that was a decline. That, those were cuts. cuts. Well, I, I thought you said either way. Yeah, I, I said either way. So March of 2020, I think you're right. They did pull rates down. Hikes, you might have to go back to 94. It might even be before that. 
that would be another. I think the point that you and I are both agreeing on is if you want to be back in the driver's seat, you have to surprise people. Well, here's the thing, okay? And and look, you see this from emerging market central banks a lot, where you know in Argentina, inflation gets out of control and people start doubting the central bank, and eventually the central bank president has to go, guys, get in line. This is what we're doing, and this is how I'm going to do it. And you, you basically shock the market into to trusting you. Are we going to hold Argentina out as a successful central bank policymaker? No, it's not the central bank's fault that the politicians keep borrowing money left and right that they can't pay. Like, yeah. the central bank's not the one who's doing it. Fair enough. But ultimately, that's the, that's the way that you at least make the currency last eight years instead of blowing up in five. Okay. Ultimately, right now, here I'm looking at the CME Fed Funds Futures report as of this very moment. Here's the projection. 72% chance of a hike in March. 65% chance that there's you know another hike in uh, May. Another hike projected in by June, and another one by September. Four hikes from here, okay? And then here's what's priced in. Cut by November... Cut by March of next year, cut by May of next year, cut by July of next year. The market is pricing in that we go up 1% and then back down one and a quarter to right where we are today, 16 months from now. They, they don't believe Jay Powell when he says, I'm going to have to go higher for longer. Yeah. They keep like looking at this and they're like, oh, you mean you're going to go higher? What, Jay's like, what about, what about the longer? No, you're not going to do that. Not going to happen, my friend. Now, I understand that, look, when you look at these, again, it's, these are probabilities. So yep. ultimately, you have to price in that there might be a 10% chance that, hey, there's a recession in the next year. And if so, the Fed might have to cut rates by 3%. And that's how this, get, this gets priced in. I, I get that. But ultimately, Jay's been trying for a while now to, to get markets to say, look, this is where we're going and this is how it's going to happen. He's got to regain credibility, and maybe the recession happens, and, and then that's when you end up actually cutting rates. But ultimately, the market does not believe that rates are going to be above 5% a year and a half from now. Doesn't believe it. No. Okay. And so... And I don't think it's because investors believe there's a strong recession coming. No, there's, there's no data in the last probably eight to nine weeks now that supports recession imminent. Mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing out there, okay? Right. Like if equities were pricing in a recession and you had in, you know, uh, Fed funds futures showing a decline a year and a half from now, okay, If If you it. think a recession is imminent, then why are corporate bond spreads at historically low levels. Yeah. Why are equities still trading 18 times future earnings? These things don't exist in recession. Equity multiples go down to 14. Spreads blow out to 500, 800 basis points. So if the market's saying, hey, recession's coming, and equity nothing markets, else got the memo. And equity markets generally don't go up by 1% two days in a row. Okay, so like nothing got the memo there. So I think that when you're looking at this, and I said this jokingly last year. I'm going to say now that I'm being 100% serious. You know what Jay Powell should do in, in uh, March? Raise the Fed funds rate to 7. Move it up another 2.5%. Call it a day and be done with it. Okay, I guarantee you, if Jay Powell raised the Fed funds rate by 2.5% on March 22nd, equities are going to get slammed. 
financial conditions are going to tighten and inflation is going to come in because you're not going to have people saying, oh, well, you know, prices will keep... It will rain in those expectations immediately. It might cause, you know, a slight catastrophe in markets over the short term and everything, but yep. th- this is not going to happen, actually, so I can talk about it. But sure. that's what, I'm saying this unironically because I think there's a non-zero chance that you might need to get that funds, Fed funds rate to seven by the end of next year when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think that's just a so you might as well. It's rip the Band-Aid off. Don't pull it out and be like, ow, like, that hurt because it pulled that hair. And ow, it hurt because it pulled that hair. Rip the whole Band-Aid off. So perfectly reasonable of us to critique. The fact of the matter, at least in my view. Jay Powell doesn't listen to our show. Well, yeah, that and March. He could listen to the podcast. March meeting though. in how many days are we? 16 days? 19. 19 days away. Probably a 25 basis point hike. It's all data dependent on we got jobs next Friday and then we got CPI the following Tuesday. What those two bring you, that's that's going to be the deal. If they come in looking like January, you're going 50. If they come in showing things cooling, you're going you're going 25 because, okay, January is the outlier. But, uh, yeah, it's you got to bring the heat. Like, Here's the thing with inflation, okay? It's a slow death, okay? It's like boiling the frog in water. You turn the heat up gradually, but it, it's still painful. The I would frog. rather have the fast, painful death than the slow, painful death. Could have went with a lobster. Something. No, that... if you put a frog in cool water and then turn oh, the heat up. Oh, in cool up, water. Quick break. Wall Street right. Watch is next. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at TFE Show. Breaking business news is always first right here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Time now for Wall Street Watch. A complete look at what's moving markets so far today, right here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Time now for Wall Street Watch here on the Financial Exchange. And markets are on pace to close out the week with modest gains, potentially snapping their three-week losing streak as traders digest more commentary from Fed officials surrounding higher interest rates. Right now, the Dow is up by a third of a percent, or 118 points. S&P 500 is up over three-quarters of a percent, or 33 points. And the Nasdaq now up Nearly one and a quarter percent so far today, or 134 points higher. Russell 2000 is up by nearly quarter percent, pretty flat. A 10-year Treasury yield off by six basis points, now at 4%. 
And crude oil is off by about a half a percent, trading at $77.79 a barrel. Shares in Costco are down 3% after the warehouse retail revealed mixed results for the fiscal second quarter and also warned of a decline in big-ticket consumer spending. The company generated $55.27 billion in revenue, short of forecasts of $55.54 billion. Costco's comparable store sales in the U.S. did, however, climb 5.7%, which is its biggest gain since June. Meanwhile, Nordstrom shares are up 2.5% after the retailer beat earnings forecast for the fourth quarter but fell short of revenue estimates. During the holiday quarter, Nordstrom generated $4.32 billion in revenue, short of expectations of $4.34 billion. The company also said it anticipates its sales to pull back in the new fiscal year, citing its decision to wind down its Canadian operations. The retailer furthermore noted it saw disappointing sales as a result of more discounted merchandise than expected in November and December to combat inventory issues. Broadcom released first quarter earnings in a near-term revenue outlook that were better than expected, noting big tech firms are rushing to purchase its AI-related chips. That stock up by 4% today. And Dell Technology stock is up 1.5% as the computer firm posted fourth quarter earnings and revenue that beat forecasts. However, Dell issued a muted near-term profit forecast, where it said its revenues would likely decline between 17 and 21 percent from 2022 levels due to shrinking PC demand and a slump in corporate spending on servers, storage, and network hardware. I'm Tucker Silva, and that's Wall Street Watch. Mike, any last comments on uh, the Fed? I think uh, half an hour of Fed talks yeah, enough for me. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling out. fed up. Yeah. Okay. I want to go off grid then. Okay. Amazon uh, announced earlier today that they are halting plans for construction on phase two of their HQ2 outside Washington, D.C. So this was, remember all of the hype back in like 2017 and 2018 about where they're going to put this thing? I wonder how many applications they ended up getting. It was like 300 that. different yeah. cities that applied for ended it. ended up applying, yeah. So they, they built like the first little piece of it. It's not little. It's two 22-story buildings. It's somewhere around a million square feet. By the way, we, we commented on this before, but how boring that they ended up choosing D.C. at the end of all of this. Right? Like, it, it, if you're going to open it up to public bidding, do do somewhere. Put the thing in freaking Boise. Yeah. 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 Which, actually, that's too close to their normal headquarters, okay. Seattle. So, if, if you're going to open it up to public bidding, put the thing in, you know, Secaucus. Uh, no, no, put it in... What's it? I'm, t- I'm trying to think. Uh, put in Charleston, South Carolina or something like that. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville's got plenty of other stuff going on. You already got FedEx there. They don't need it. Okay. I mean, I'm sure they'd like it, but actually, no, FedEx is Memphis, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, FedEx, FedEx is Memphis. Is, yep. uh, so they were going to be building, it was going to be three more office buildings, and then this 22-story, this spire building that looks cool, admittedly. There's going to be another 3.2 million square feet they were building. Paused. See you later. Not do and pause probably means no. We're not going. Well, to. I mean, why would you? Right? I mean, I can go scoop up a very nice office building in Washington D.C., New York City, without having Boston, to build it. without needing to build it myself. And none of my employees want to go there in the first place. So here's one thing that I was reading though: is the ground floor of one tower. I'm quoting here from this is from Arlington now, uh, Arlington, Virginia, obviously not. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, the ground floor of one tower will have a 15,000 square foot public child care facility accepting government subsidies, as well as the permanent home 
for Arlington Community High School. So are they just not going to build like this new high school now? What, what What's the high school going to do? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> now, now, granted, uh, you know, this also likely means that Washington, D.C. is not going to end up giving Amazon the same massive number of tax credits and breaks that they were initially planning nope. on. I'm, I'm certain that those were all contingent upon Amazon completing a massive construction project and hiring a certain number of people, which will likely be a smaller number given uh, where all this lands. But yeah, uh, th- this speaks to two things to me. I mean, one, it certainly does speak to the layoffs that Amazon has done, the slowdown that they are trying to orchestrate, and um, that is going to play a role. It also does, though, have to do with, like, when was the bidding for all this? 2017? 2017, maybe 2018. Pandemic changed it. Here's the other thing. Even if Amazon was firing all cylinders, the pandemic changed this. Here's the other thing that is interesting. As part of this RFP process, Amazon asked all these cities for a boatload of data about them. And now it appears that they voluntarily got cities to offer up a whole bunch of data about their demographics, their resident, all the stuff that Amazon needs in order to determine where to build its warehouses. <laughs> good move. And they're like, oh, we're not actually going to do the second part of this. We're done. Yeah, yeah. good move. So it's, uh, you know. It's like if it, you, uh, it's almost as good as an idea as like, I don't know, putting hidden speakers in everyone in America's homes. Oh, wait, they did that too. Oh, yeah. did, did okay. Amazon do that? <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. okay yeah, just, make, just making yeah. sure. No hey, big deal. <laughs> you guys are saying D.C. Isn't this Virginia? It was billed as... It, so Crystal City's like across yeah. the river from D.C. But it's in Virginia. True. Most of D.C. is in Virginia. Okay. Like, if you look at... The ha- metro area of D.C. expands into significant parts of Virginia. Like, D.C.'s too small for it to be in D.C. proper. Because D.C.'s a city. It's like the Vatican. Tucker's not buying it. We need to get him down there. He's never left Massachusetts, so we got to... I mean, I'm kind of stealing a take from uh, Connor Sen from uh, Bloomberg. Uh, He tweeted out something in regard to uh, Bezos pursuing the Washington commanders. You know. What what am I not putting together here? I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of... I don't know. He said he tweeted out new eight Amazon HQ two plan. If you uh, let Jeff buy your NFL team, you get an HQ two. <laughs> so I I would so again Crystal City. If you like look at where it is, it's across the Potomac from DC, but it's it's right next to like the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. So the Pentagon's not in DC, but no one ever says okay. Oh, I'm going to you know Virginia to go to the Pentagon. No, I'm going to D- Arlington National Cemetery. Not in DC. It's in Arlington, Virginia. Mm-hmm. In any case, Ronald Reagan National Airport, not in D.C. It's in Virginia. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, there will be a few of these announcements. Salesforce uh, has a giant office tower in uh, San Francisco. The big one, I mean, the one that I keep going back to is Apple's headquarters, that like giant circular donut spaceship type thing. I can't imagine anybody's there. It's a big, big spend for uh, empty office. Yeah. It's supposed to be very nice, though. Sure it is for the seven people that are there. Maura Healy telling the Boston Chamber of Commerce that her tax relief plan will make Massachusetts more competitive. The big things that she's you know focusing on here, hey, I'm bringing the short-term capital gains rate down from 12% to 5%, and I'm going to increase the estate tax threshold from $1 million to $3 million. Yeah, so look, I think she's right that those two pieces alone would make Massachusetts uh 
far more competitive. Um, at the same time, we are implementing the millionaire's tax. So, okay, uh, for a subset of those people, they are still going to want to get out of Massachusetts. What I keep coming back to, which you know is not tax-related at all, which is another part of this, is that Massachusetts, no matter whether you get rid of the capital gains tax or the higher state tax, is one of the most expensive places in the country and, frankly, the world to live. Yes. And, you know, good example here. I have family members. I have a sister-in-law down in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, where, uh, where IU is. And she works in healthcare. I've always, you know, my wife has, you know, always dreamt about her sister moving out to the Boston area. And the cost of housing, you know, in spite of the fact that she would get, you know, probably a fair bit more compensation going from Indiana to the Boston area, you, you can't make up for that in the cost of the tremendous difference in housing. You know, she, she's basically below the median average in terms oh, of sure. housing costs in Indiana. Coming to Massachusetts is unfathomable. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine that the housing cost is anywhere from double to triple. It's closer to triple. Yeah. If, if you want to get like a comparable community and school system, it's yeah. close to triple. And, yeah. And, you know, I'm sure anybody can do quite a bit better in terms of income out here, but not triple. Well, this segues into the next topic, which is how do you build more housing in Massachusetts so that it's not so expensive? Nobody's figured it out. <laughs> you got to get past the NIMBYs. Yeah, I mean, effectively, what you need is a more robust version of was it the 1969 law that uh, allowed uh, developers? Yeah, 1969, 40B was a state law that allowed developers to circumvent zoning in towns where less than 10% of the housing stock was affordable. It doesn't work, is my conclusion. It hasn't done anything. And so you probably, I know that it all comes down to, hey, we want to negotiate with these local zoning boards. Well, hasn't really worked. My conclusion is that you need a law in the books that's going to allow and encourage communities to build more multifamily. Right. It's okay. Incentivize them to, Hey, you're going to get, you know, state level grants down to your community. If you, my problem is that construction that clearly exists and it's not happening. So I guess my conclusion is that you need more of it. Yeah. And it maybe it needs to be both a carrot and a stick. I I will give California some credit on this in terms of what they're finally doing because California housing is just so messed up right now. The state has basically said, okay, if you're not authorizing enough, we're going to take over your local zoning boards and start authorizing it. Yeah. And, and that's basically what they've started doing this year, finally. Like, I, I know we've got a strong history in Massachusetts of town boards and that type of legislature and town meeting and local zoning rules, and I, I, I get it all. Trust me, I do. But it's a real problem. Here, well, it's, again, you have someone who's wanting to put an in-law apartment on their house, and you have towns that are like, no, you can't do... What are, you, what are we talking about here? Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like they're trying to put up an eight-story condo. This is front- I want somewhere for mom and dad to live in my home. This is front and center right now because the South Shore Plaza conversion over to apartments is, you know, getting some strong pushback from what I understand from the town of Braintree. But I feel like every I remember in Braintree when they were doing the uh, the Amazon facility there. Mm. I think it was Braintree. Was it Quincy? Was that Bridgewater? No, it was it was right in that. There's Braintree, probably an Quincy Amazon area. facility in all three of those. There but. might be one in all three. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was either Braintree or Quincy. And the argument then was, well, there's going to be too many Amazon trucks coming up and down the road. It's like, guys, like, you can't just keep everything. The w- Let's just stick with Sears and Macy's. I like how it was 20 years ago, too. But ultimately, taxes keep going up if you don't allow more development. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they got to figure that out. That's a good spot for housing. I'm, now, I, I do 
hope that they improve the traffic in that area. I'm sure that's a major concern because if you add 500 apartments to that, then it's going to cause even more chaos than it already is in that area. I think you should just let the South Shore Plaza slowly crumble to death and not do anything. That, that seems like the more responsible It could be decision. like... That place is still always packed. It's still popping. Every time I drive home, I look right. Mike wants it to... Mike, it's packed. Mike wants to turn into like the South Shore's, South Shore's version of the pyramids. You know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, crumbled little sphinx outside yes. out front. You know, something yeah. like that, like a tourist attraction. Give almost. it a decade, that's what'll happen. But uh, no, it's still it's still cooking. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, I want to talk pickleball after this. What? Pickleball. <laughs> okay. I want to talk pickleball. Watch after the this. show every day on Twitch TV, Facebook, and our website, financialexchangeshow.com. We're breaking down the biggest business stories of the day only on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. If the cold and wind of the New England winter is starting to get you down, it's time to head to America's Caribbean paradise, the United States Virgin Islands, consisting of St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John. The USVI was recently voted the top Caribbean destination by Travel and Leisure magazine and several other top media organizations, as well as the best Caribbean islands to visit in 2023 by the Caribbean Journal. When you arrive, you'll enjoy some of the most pristine beaches in the world, incredible scuba diving and snorkeling, and world-class culinary offerings. Book your trip today and fall naturally in rhythm with the heartbeat of the islands, where the sun is strong, the clouds are few, and the weather is perfect every day. Travel from New England could not be easier, with no passport required, no money to exchange, and no travel restrictions to enter. Go to visitusvi.com and learn more about America's Caribbean paradise and book a trip today. That's visitusvi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Miss any of the show? You can catch up at your convenience by visiting FinancialExchangeShow.com and clicking the on-demand icon where you'll find all of our interviews and full shows. This is your home for the latest business and financial news in New England and around the country. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Mike, are you a pickleballer? Uh, I've never played on an actual court, but my brothers and I will frequently play in a driveway on vacation. Do you know how annoying you are? Um, I do. Very annoying. I do. I didn't realize that it was because I played pickleball, but I'll tell you, after reading the story that we're about to cover, never before have I so badly wanted to go play pickleball in Wellesley. I would, I would agree. So there was a, uh, a big town meeting in Wellesley this morning, actually. I've not heard the results of what big, has happened. Big town meeting. Big town meeting. Huge. Because, okay, there is, uh, there's a park there called Sprague Fields. It's got you know, some tennis courts and fields and things like that. And people who live next to the park are very upset at how loud the pickleballers are who play there. It's just a whack. 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 It's that. This is what it sounds like there, basically all day. Now, 
I don't happen to think it's that bad because I'm a normal person and I'm well adjusted enough to know that, hey, if I live next to a tennis court, there may occasionally be people hitting balls on said tennis court. Especially maybe the, a basketball court. The, the similar sound. Here, like no one swishes the ball anymore. It's all off the rim and backboard. A lot of bricks being shot. So my first apartment i used to live nearby a basketball court and i didn't live right there but frequently there would be people playing basketball until midnight yeah you and i was like oh that. boy that would be really rough if i lived right there but you accept it and you move on i have a very some serious doubts that anybody in wellesley is playing pickleball into midnight hours and uh, making anybody's life miserable here what are we <laughs> i don't even know if i like on the tennis court the picture i can see i don't even see lights yeah, well... So, like, if someone's playing... The big complaint is that it makes reading during the day <laughs> too hard. I can't read! I mean, uh. of all the problems in the world, to not be able to focus on your book while reading outside I because really, the pickleball is too loud... I really want to organize an Armstrong <laughs> Advisory Group-sponsored pickleball tournament all across Wellesley. <laughs> Oh, did, did, was, was that a good shot? It was a pickle. Oh, I don't know. They're in a real pickle now. And some of the quotes here. These pickleballers are so evangelistic. It's like you can't take away their right to play pickleball. No, because it's a public court where they're allowed to play. <laughs> like, if you don't want to hear pickleball right next to your house, don't live right next to a tennis court. Well, they put it there after the and fact, like, Chuck. And they're like... Oh, the the noise is it's different from a tennis ball. It's it's a percussive popping noise. O okay, oh, I mean, boy, uh, Falmouth resident. So this is not the Wellesley story. He but, sold his uh, house and moved. <laughs> Somebody which filed a lawsuit. Is the right thing and got an injunction on these courts to not play pickleball through January 2024. <laughs> Come on, Judge. Who are you granting that? Why are you granting that injunction? It's like a sharp snap and more rapid. Oh, my lord, I just. I'm sorry. Let's take a quick break when we come back. Hour two on the financial exchange.